The following is a message from Reverend Ken Belden of Wellsprings Congregation. The Sunday after the election of 2004, I preached a message called Peel Back the Label that somehow, I didn't submit it, ended up in this book. Representative American Speeches, 2004-2005. A young senator from Illinois, Senator Barack Obama was in that book. Senator from New York, Senator Hillary Clinton was in that book. President George W. Bush was in that book. Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice was in that book. Ken Belden was in that book. (laughs) One of these things is not like the other. Still. (laughs) A lot of my sermon, my message for that day in 2004 came down to this. Don't believe, don't believe the lie that America is so painfully divided we don't know how to go forward. I was really honored to be included in this collection. And I was wrong. There were divisions then, and there are certainly divisions now. The scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, caution us really, really carefully. Do not believe the false prophets who preach peace, peace, where there is no peace. I will not offer you easy comfort today. Because I can only give you what I have. And I have no easy comfort at all. Besides offering words of false unity about the world in which we live and the country in which we live, offering false unity would actually rob us of an opportunity to allow this day for love and compassion to change our hearts and to change our lives. So let me, let me, get, let me get one thing out of the way here first. I love you. You know, if you've been around for Wellsprings for a while, I will say something like that at one of these Sundays when, like, a lot of hearts are broken, like the Sunday after uh, the Newtown Massacre. I think that was maybe the first time that I told this congregation that I loved them, maybe once before that I loved you. A couple weeks ago, that beautiful service we had over in the gym, we were all together for that Day of the Dead celebration, and so many of our hearts are just broken wide open by grief, by the grief that unites us all, by our mortality, by our love. And I told you, I love you. Now, let me be clear. When I tell you I love you, it's not the same thing, right, as when I tell my wife that I love her. (laughs) Although she is here. I love you differently. (laughs) It's not the same thing as... When I say this to my family members or people I've known for, you know, almost all 46 years of my life. And I do love you. I love you because we come from this tradition. We come from this tradition of William Ellery Channing, who preached this amazing sermon with an even better title almost 200 years ago. The likeness to God. I love you because I see in each of you the likeness to God. The very form and face of divinity itself. I love you. 
Because this Sunday, folks, I need to. I really, really need to. I love you as an act of faith and as an offering of devotion. Because I believe that we can rise to the challenge of this moment, that we must rise to the challenge of this moment on this Sunday after this election day. And I say I love you because if ministry has taught me anything over the nearly two decades that I have been ordained, it is this. That when we are in great distress, when we are in a place where our hearts are broken, when we are in a place in which we don't know what to do next, when we are in a place of great pain, there is nothing more powerful than remembering that we are, each of us, loved and lovable. And so I love you in the midst of this great pain, which isn't just the pain of us individually, although maybe we're all feeling it, right? This is the pain of broken systems and broken relationships and something that feels like it's coming to die in our midst right here, right now. And I say this as a white, heterosexual, cisgendered man in this culture who has never wanted for anything materially. I have to puncture the bubble of my privilege right now, especially. That's why I say I love you, because it draws me out towards a world in which Honestly, when people ask me how I'm doing, just like Jessica asked all of us today, I'll say, you know, I'm, I'm reeling. And the truth is my care, my compassion is with those people who have been made into the others historically and whose lives, whose bodies are at risk right now. There is great pain in our midst and it's in our systems. It's between us. It's not just with us individually. I, um, I had for years, uh, I had canker sores. I still get one occasionally. I'm kind of working on it right now. It's been a bit of a stressful week. Um, but I used to get them all the time. You know what canker sores are? I'm not talking about cold sores on the outside. I'm talking about inside of my mouth, these really, really painful, awful sores. Like I couldn't have tomato sauce for like three weeks or a month when I get a canker sore because it was so acidic. If I was, would get a cold, if I'd have the flu, I'd get a canker sore. If I stayed up too many days in a row, you know, not getting enough sleep, if my body was stressed, I'd get a canker sore. Here's the thing. Those sores hurt. But the canker sores were not the real cause of the pain. They were an expression of the pain that I was in. Because I did not know how to take care of myself. I did not know how to take care of my body for decades of my life. And so because my system was not well, the opportunistic virus looked for the next time it could enter and cause pain. Our systems, our relationships are in pain right now, are feeling broken right now, are in need of healing right now. And so this is my hope, this is my faith, that as the great Franciscan teacher Richard Rohr offered us, he said, you know what, when we find ourselves in in great pain, we really have a choice. We can just end up transmitting that pain, passing it on, creating more pain for other people. Or we can elect to transform that pain out of our suffering, creating more love, more compassion, more justice, more holistic and more healthy and healing ways of being. Today is a choice day, as many days, months, perhaps even years to come will be. 
Will we end up transmitting the pain of our inherited systems, the brokenness therein, or will we be a part of transforming into greater health and greater wholeness? So yeah, I was I was stunned, like with the actual, you know, outcome of the election. <laughs> like it was a surprise. And on one level, the election of Donald Trump to the presidency was not a surprise at all. Not a surprise at all. It's what we do in times of stress in this culture and in this nation. We, we search for the others, as Jessica said. We search for scapegoats. People to blame, people who we have fixed our problems on, then somehow the rest of us, whoever the hell the rest of us are, will somehow be okay. We've done it for a long time. We've done it since America has been America. And let me say one other thing, though. I, as a man, as a man in this culture, I have to apologize to, to all the women here that a man who over and over and over again has done the things and said the things about women that Donald Trump did, that we, and I take responsibility for this as a man, have normalized misogyny so much that he would not be immediately disqualified. I apologize. I have to. There is nothing new in this moment. It has been going on for a long time. Please, folks, read some history, not just the stuff you got in the high school version. Read some history that talks about what happened after the Civil War and Reconstruction and the origins of the KKK. Talk about what, what happened during times in which the majority folks of this country were stressed and were thinking resources were scarce. Read about, read about Black Wall Street. How many of you know what Black Wall Street is or was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that after soldiers started coming back from World War I and resources were scarce and, and white folks couldn't get jobs. And you know what? They burned the center of black financial life to the ground, killing 300 people. This is what we do in times of stress. World War II, one of the liberal icons of my family, a man who... I was told could do no wrong during World War II to my grandparents' generations, FDR, reacting to the pain and paranoia of a country at war, interned hundreds of thousands of our fellow Japanese citizens. We look for someone to blame when we have protracted stress or pain. We have this terrible, broken tendency to make those with the least power the problem. And it is a brokenness as old as is America. And it has been a part of this past election. And so I wonder, as perhaps many of you do, I wonder what the president-elect could do to address this. He's got one thing from my perspective that he could do really, really clearly that president-elect Trump could do. To not just transmit, but transform this pain and this brokenness. He could be honest with us and tell us out of conviction or convenience that he drew poison water from this poison well of otherizing that is part, a broken part of this American tradition. Listen to his language. Go back. Please don't deny it however you voted. And I especially want to say I love you even if we disagree today. I do. And let's be honest together. Listen to the language he used they, them, you people, 
over and over and over and over again. He didn't talk with. He didn't talk to. He talked at and about. That is language that otherizes. So what I would love to see, what would help me take a step towards that not false unity, but actual unity and actual healing, is if our president-elect just stood up and said he was sorry. And that he drank water and drew water from a poison well that causes such suffering. And that, yes, and folks, again, openly celebrating this past week were white nationalists and the KKK and people like David Duke. I do not believe, I do not believe in my heart that all people who voted for Donald Trump are hateful people. In fact, there are people who voted for President Obama in 2012 and in 2008. What I'm saying is that. As part of this campaign, the president-elect drew upon this poison water from this poison well. And it does, in fact, poison all of us. Admit that. Repent for it. Ask us to all go in a deeper and better way together. And please say you'll never do it again. And don't do this, because you did it all the time, Mr. President-elect. Don't tell us that you are the best friend to the blacks. Don't tell us that no one loves women more than you. Get that freaking mess out of here. You don't get to decide if you're an ally. None of us do, people of power, of privilege. We don't get to decide. We get to enter into relationship, and then we're told that we are friends and allies because of our actions and the way that we show up. And not here, not now, not this day, not the way this last week has been. Well, I accept false unity promises. Not when what's been going on at University of Pennsylvania has been going on. Not while what's been going on at Villanova this past Thursday night. Not what's going on at Wellesley. Not what's been going on in some of our high schools. I mean, I could go on and on and on with this list of telling you how these forces of poisonness are using their voices. To oppress and hate. I trust that you can look it up for yourself. You don't know it already. In times of great distress, this otherizing happens. It happens when the majority groups, and I am definitely among the majority groups, feel pain. This is a transmit or transform moment. For all of us and for the life of our country. Lots of people are in pain. Lots of people are in distress. Lots of white folks are in pain and in distress in this country right now. It has been a brutal emotionally and financially last decade, last decade and a half for so many of us. And so many of us are feeling this deep pain, this deep anxiety, this deep distress. But you know what, folks? Pain does not confer nobility. And pain does not give any of us the right to cause more pain. That's the transmission. I mean, you know, we can see this all over us. We can see it in our individual lives. I can see it in my home. I can see it from this creature. You know, we're all mammals here, right? I can see it from Sheldon Rabbit, one of our pet rabbits. I'm not making a joke here. Sheldon, when we got him, was abused. He was in pain. And the way that he reacted out of that pain was to take his aggression out on us. I I can show you my hands. I have the scars to prove it. He would take his pain out on the other bunnies he was nearby. 
But we didn't allow him to do that after a while. If people in pain are causing pain to other people, we have to speak up and speak out and set limits and set boundaries and say simply because there has been abuse does not give any of the right to lash out in aggression at others. Because it's only when we set clear boundaries and clear borders to pain that then we have the time and the space that we need to heal. And above all else, we need healing right now. And it is true. Uh, you know, like turnout was uh, turnout was really down. Do you know that? Like turnout for this election was as low as it has been in 20 years. There was a depressed turnout. Maybe it's because so many of us are actually freaking clinically depressed. Maybe because so many of us feel under assault. Maybe because so many of us feel not just that there's not enough for us, but that somehow we're not enough and our lives are lacking. And yes, one of those divisions shows up absolutely in the people who did turn out to vote. Between those of us who are white and those of us who are people of color. Transform or transmit. It is absolutely true that, especially in this last five, ten years or so, a lot of white people are feeling a lot of pain that maybe their ancestor didn't have to quite feel as much. It shows up in studies. You know, I've talked about this before, that they're finding out, the demographers are, that middle-aged white folks are starting to die of things like addiction and cirrhosis of the liver and suicide. And we can see it here in this area, even privileged Chester County, the opiate addictions, the heroin deaths that aren't just for someone else's community, but are right here and right now in our community. By the way, same things like showing up in Great Britain, by the way, you know, the whole Brexit vote, same fear of others, same fear of immigrants, spikes in self-harm, spikes in addiction, spikes in anxiety, spikes in loneliness, spikes in pain. But again, what matters? Do we transmit that pain, make other people responsible for it, or do we transform it and have that pain that many of us are feeling in our lives, in our bodies, in our families, in our communities, draw us out into and with the pain of the world? Do we allow that pain to become a force for solidarity, or do we say, no, it's not supposed to happen to me or my kind. It's supposed to happen to them. And we think that somehow kindness only belongs to a few of us. But folks, here's the truth of kindness. It is a mathematical law that kindness divided is kindness that eventually disappears. There is no kindness that is not broadly shared. It can't just be for some of us. It has to be all of us. This is what universalism says. And it's basically fundamentally true. Our addictions, our mental illnesses, we've been sold a bill of goods and it's bull for a long time that says they just belong to us individually. No, our addictions, our mental illnesses, our pains, they occur in a social context in which so many of us are suffering. I got to tell you, you've been around for a while, you know that maybe next to Tara Brock, Brene Brown is the person I've quoted most from and Reverend Lee has quoted from a lot. I love her work on vulnerability and how vulnerability draws us out towards each other and helps us build empathy and compassion but there's something missing. I think that the understanding of vulnerability that Brene Brown offers us is, in fact, incomplete if we don't understand that we're not all vulnerable in the same way. And so I think that Brene Brown needs the addition of a teacher like ta Hesse Coates, 
who writes, as he says, in a wonderful turn of phrase, to those people who believe themselves to be white, inviting us to join the vulnerability and the solidarity of the compassion of the full human race. This is how we transform instead of just still transmitting. There's an author named um, R. Lee Russell Hoschild. Talked about her a few weeks ago. She wrote a book. Uh, I mean, she's like, she, she is a Berkeley liberal academic. <laughs> you do not get any more on the coast than her. And she wrote a book not to convert, but to understand people who are different from her, people who live in the bayou in Louisiana. And she wrote the book and she called it Strangers in Their Own Land. And she's now concerned about them. Because the truth is, you know, a lot of them work in the petrochemical industry and a lot of those jobs that the president-elect is promising to bring back, they've gone to automation and technology and they're not coming back. And what happens to those folks when their dreams, as the president-elect promises, only he could bring them back when they don't come back? What she worries is that if those dreams are denied, they will turn rotten and other people again will be blamed. Blame will be racialized, probably will be Mexican folks, Mexican people. And pain will be multiplied and transmitted. It's one of the reasons I think so many of us, right and left, have been drawn to this teacher. Who asks some very simple questions. I ask you to ensure that humanity is served by wealth and not Ruled by it. I mean, some of us are still doing okay. Some of us have jobs that, you know, seem stable enough. And I got to tell you, when I have the conversations and I go deeper, what I hear is more and more and more work and less job security. And I don't know who this system serves. I don't believe it's healthy, but I don't know who it serves. These systems that we've built, economic, relational, and otherwise, they divide us. They tell us that our ability to compete is our most important defining characteristic. And it reduces us to people who produce and makes others of all the rest of us. And eventually, all the rest of us is going to be all of us. This is the transform or transmit moment. What do we do, the inheritors of this progressive spiritual tradition that says there is a love from which we come and to which we head that is true right now as well true, this truth, this love that denies none of us a place, this truth of this universalism, how will we transform rather than transmit? Well, I hope we will not engage in any otherizing of anyone regardless of whether we agree with them. Or not. I hope that we will not dehumanize or demonize, but I hope we will disagree and I hope we will dissent. I hope we will dissent as strongly as we have ever dissented against the dehumanization of other people. LGBTQ people who are wondering about their homes their marriages, wondering about their place under the law, Muslim people who are wondering 
you know, after the next attack, wherever or whenever it is, is my name going to show up on a list? By the way, as someone who grew up Jewish, that chills me to the bone. The poor and the economically vulnerable, will they be made more vulnerable by a system that says you're on your own? Will people of color, black folks particularly, Latinx people particularly, in the name of strength, have their lives continue to be crushed. I hope we will dissent strongly. I hope that we will show up as allies, that this is the heritage from which we come to show up the people who are suffering. I've got to tell you, if it is what Islamic leaders want out of me, This is what the president-elect said. We need to create a list, Muslim people. If that happens and Islamic leaders want it, I will show up wearing the prayer shawl that my grandfather was bar mitzvahed in. How will we show up? How will we transform this suffering? Putting our privilege on the line, not walking away, not turning a blind eye. I've got to tell you this past Wednesday, so many of us gathered here in this space to light candles and share fears and to share love and to share connection. And it was a source of tremendous heartbreak and incredible heart bursting that so many of you brought your kids with you. And they spoke of their fears, their compassion, their connection with people they don't even know and some of their friends in school. And I hope that as we deepen our commitment here at Wellsprings, to show up and to dissent against dehumanization, that you will bring your kids along too. (laughs) That you will show them this is how this family and this is how this faith asks us to show up when other people are suffering cruelty, pain, and oppression. That now is not a time and it will not be a time for quite a time for peace assuming, for the old cliches. Now is the time for peacemaking. Take it beyond that cliche. And it's a cliche because it's true, but it's so easy to post on Facebook. And we've shared it here before. Mr. Rogers, right? Be among the helpers. Don't just say, oh, those are the helpers. Be among the helpers, the people who head towards the pain, who head towards the hurt. Bring your family along who run towards the troubled places. This is what it is to transform our suffering, our fear, our pain, our grief into an active, engaged love that does not dehumanize. It is living out the promise of our tradition, this universalism that says there is a love so special that none of us need to be special at all to be loved. There is a love so special that none of us need to be special at all to be loved. There's one thing I found that is troubling and unites our current president and our president-to-be. Both of them are incredibly, incredibly charismatic and incredibly telegenic. And this is where a lot of our attention goes these days. It goes to the big events. It goes to the important people. Our attention is divided and becomes scarce. And it has left many of us wondering if our lives count. 
and divided in this way, it leaves us less time and attention to open our hearts to those people who are suffering. The people who feel unseen and unimportant and forgotten. And maybe you feel among them today. One of my favorite albums this year, I would say, year's, you know, year's not over quite yet, but we're going to go with favorite album of the year. It's by the band The Drive-By Truckers. And they finally, rock music has finally produced an album like worthy of Beyonce's Lemonade, of being mentioned in the same breath. It's called American Band. And one of the things they sing on this album is this. We're living in an age where limitations are forgotten. The outer edges move and dazzle us, but the core is something rotten. All this sound and fury signifying not that much that we make about the famous people and the famous things. How can we transform and turn ourselves back to our own lives and the lives of people around us and not forget each other, especially when we don't feel important anymore? How can we commit that vow to each other, promise that to each other, show up for each other? Because the truth is, something is dying here. Systems that are unhealthy die eventually. Don't believe this system can't be replaced. How we arrived here is a succession of systems that came before us. This isn't the final step in humanity. Dear God, let this not be the final step in humanity. We are not the final evolution. Right? This tradition says the burning bush is blazing everywhere. We are not the final light and we are not the final form. We can become a part of the next thing to be. Something is dying here and something is being born. And the truth at all moments is this. It can be beastly or it can be better. Don't you want to be a part? I know I want to be a part of giving birth to something beautiful and true and good. Don't you want to be a part of that? I want to be a part of that. This tradition says we are all midwives to God. We are all midwives to divinity. All of us. And some of you know this because of your own bodies. I've heard about it. I've read about it. (laughs) There is no birth without labor. And there is no labor without pain. These are the groaning pains, the growing pains, the birthing pains of right now as something is dying and something else is being born. Not a time anymore, friends, for superficial band-aid peace. Now a time for transformation. Now is a time for birth givers and hurt healers. And for those of us, those of us, and I hope it's all of us, who don't want to be transmitters anymore, who don't want to carry on the pain of the past, the old diseases and the old dysfunctions. But those of us, knowing the promise of peace and the promise of wholeness are ready, are so ready. Ready for when joy comes back. Ready for new life. My friends, we are all midwives of God. We're right there in that delivery room. Let's give birth to all the love, all the hope, all the connection, all the compassion we could ever wish. Amen. Yes, I love you. Let us love each other. May we all live in blessing. Let's pray together. A simple prayer for a complex reality. To a mysterious God understood not by words, but understood by the quality of our presence that seeks to bring greater love, greater peace, greater belonging into this life.
May we allow ourselves to question all that dehumanizes. May we seek for that love that bridges even our disagreements and listen to each other. And listen especially to those voices who right now are most fearful, most afraid that they will be put out. A simple prayer for a complex reality. May our hands, may our hearts, may our words, may our deeds bear forth that original imprint of blessedness. May we be here in the midst of all this muck. No mud, no lotus, my friends. No birth without labor, no labor without pain. Let us engage the birthing of what is new and what is holy. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.